With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we are going to be reacting to the entire NBA trade deadline. Maybe not the most eventful deadline. We didn't have KD and Kyrie moved like last year, but... A lot of those blockbuster moves happened earlier in the year. The Harden trade, the Raptors blowing things up. So it wasn't all that surprising. Still, though, a little bit underwhelming. Maybe my favorite move of the day, though, Logan, was the Oklahoma City Thunder picking up Gordon Hayward in exchange for Trey Mann and Davis Bertans. What was your take on that move? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the move, too, Carson. And what I think it really brings to Oklahoma City and what a lot of teams were searching for at the deadline is players who are versatile, who are multifaceted, who give you a different look than the other skill sets of your guys. And what I mean by that is uh, take a guy like Josh Giddy, who can't really score the basketball, can't really defend, doesn't really have anything outside of his passing, right? Gordon Hayward is a great connecting piece. Mm -hmm. He can shoot. He makes good decisions. You know, he's going to get the ball where it needs to go. Um, He's going to rebound well. He's going to do little things, right? He gives you a different look on the wings than a guy like Lou Dort, who is completely inept offensively, but brings you that defensive value, right? So just, well, it it brings you another guy. Lou Dort has had that strap on him this year. I'm. I remain skeptical about the uh, about the just, consistency. You can't but call him inept. Can't call him inept when he's shooting like I, this. I won't. Call, I won't call him inept. He's he's shooting well, but I'm I'm still a little scarred from Lou Dort from his rookie season. That being said, though, he just Hayward gives you a different look. Uh, Dort is going to be your guy that takes on those big wings in the playoffs, but in certain matchups where you don't need him, Hayward brings you a lot more offensive uh, ball handling, shooting. Uh, playmaking, he's going to rebound well, like he's going to do the little things. He's a really good connecting piece. And outside of the skill set, I just like that Oklahoma City has brought in another veteran presence in here, an older guy with experience with the young guys. Uh, I like it. Like I said, for a lot of these teams, it's about getting guys who are complementary, who bring different skill sets to your team than you already have. And I think Hayward does that. He's a, he's a really versatile wing. He's a veteran presence. Uh, I like the move for OKC, and I don't think they gave up a whole lot. Like I'm a big Trey Mann guy, but 
It's not like he's cracking the rotation. It's not like they really need him uh, right here, right now. Same goes for Bertans. Uh, I like this move a lot for Oklahoma City. The reason that I love this move is because it is such a direct upgrade. Like, ASU legend forks up Lou Dort. His job is safe because he just has a different skill set. He is consistently going to be your best point of attack defender. And as long as he is knocking down his jumpers, I mean, even if he wasn't, I don't think you can replace what he brings defensively. But as long as he's making right now 39% of those spot up jumpers from deep, he's always going to have a place on the floor. This is a direct Josh Giddy replacement. They literally took Josh Giddy and said, what if he could actually shoot and what if he could actually score the basketball? And turns out that's actually a pretty good player. My whole thing with Giddy has always been people can become so enamored with one awesome trait. Giddy's passing is phenomenal. Hayward is not quite the level of passer that Giddy is. He's really good, but like Giddy is spectacular there. But to be a good NBA player, to make the most of that playmaking, you have to be able to stress defenses with your scoring. And if you are a minus athlete who can't shoot and can't defend, you just can't be that good. It doesn't matter how awesome your passing is. So Hayward changes that dynamic because Giddy Dude has been a walking playoff liability waiting to happen. It is going to get ugly if you play him 30 minutes a game in a playoff series. Teams are just going to ignore him. And then all of a sudden, you're basically playing four on five because they'll leave Giddy in the weak side corner and he won't be able to beat them with his shooting. And he just will not bring enough value in a playoff environment to me for the number of minutes that you're giving him. Hayward is a guy who fits in perfectly with the OKC identity. The only exception really being that he's an actual veteran. All, all these other guys are so young, but they love having versatile wings who can handle, who can run pick and roll, who can drive and kick, who can push the tempo, who can both score and play make. And Gordon Hayward can do all of that. He's still good. He's still legitimately good. He still has that awesome touch shot making over 50% on floaters. I still love the pace that he plays without a pick and roll. The playmaking is really legit. He can play away from the ball and he's going to actually knock down shots. So he just makes them a more serious basketball team to me in the playoffs as long as he is healthy. And that of course is the inevitable concern with Gordon Hayward. How many years have we seen him healthy in recent seasons? Not a lot. He is basically guaranteed to miss close to half the year. But in that case, all right, well, you're still putting Josh Giddy out there. You've traded a guy in Trey Man who has just kind of gotten shoved to the back of this hierarchy where you are so overloaded with young talent. He didn't have a place in terms of meaningful impact this year. Gordon Hayward absolutely does. He is an upgrade from a starter. So I really, really like it for OKC. And for the Hornets, why wouldn't they do something like this? Like Trey Mann, he's got some pop as a shot maker, dude. He, he's got that wiggle to his game. He's got that handle. He can shoot from deep. He just hasn't had the chance to really show it in OKC. And I'm not humbly confident in him, but Gordon Hayward is doing nothing for the Hornets. And I like them taking a decisive change in direction. I concur. And analytically, uh, the Thunder are six points worse per 100 possessions with Giddy on the floor. And the Hornets have been seven points per 100 possessions better with Gordon Hayward on the floor. Like you said it, Carson, uh, the playmaking is cool, but it's way much, it's, way more conducive to winning basketball to have an over-the-top shot maker that has to be respected. Mm -hmm. A guy that, like I said, is going to connect this offense. Gordon Hayward is going to make good decision after good decision. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's a great move for them. And uh, for the Hornets, I, I like Trey Mann a lot. I liked him a ton coming out of Florida in the draft, and I was excited for Oklahoma City to get him because I thought he'd pop. Like you said, uh, 
not a whole lot of risk here for Charlotte. I do think they're kind of overloaded with, like, you know, they got Nick Smith Jr., they got Trey Mann. They're kind yeah. of in the, the similar mold, but I do like Trey more. He's got that floater game. Any guy with a floater that can hit it from the elbow and in, <laughs> I'm just enamored with. So uh, I love this for Charlotte. Um, I lo- it's, it's mutually beneficial, and I like uh, – I mean, obviously, I think the Thunder win. They get the better player. But I like Trey Mann's future. I think he's got some real upside, man. I like Trey Mann a lot. Good for the Hornets to at least get something out of a veteran who hasn't even consistently been available for them. Giddy, one of the least efficient 10-point-per-game scorers in the league this year. He may be a slob wizard, but it's going to get ugly come playoff time. I thought that Hoop Venue did a really good video breaking down kind of how he would look in a playoff environment, played against the Timberwolves, put Gobert on him, just leave him. Like, that's what teams can do. They can put their their rim protector on him and allow that guy to still anchor the paint, and Giddy's just not going to be able to punish them. Gordon Hayward's a 40% spot-up shooter from deep, so it just really changes the dynamics there. Not to mention that he's been in those environments before, and it helps to have a little bit more experience for a team that is so young. Okay, another move that I really liked, and I think a lot of people did, Logan, the New York Knicks get both Bojan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks for Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn, and Ryan Archidiakono, along with two seconds. How did you feel about this for New York? Home run. I absolutely love this move for the Knicks. I mean, I don't really think there's any holes on this team. I think the one objective of this team moving forward is going to get healthy and do the damn thing, man. I'm yeah. I'm kind of all in on the Knicks on an Eastern Conference Finals run or something like that, man. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, First of all, I, just, I love watching this team play. I think they are so selfless. They are looking to make the right play. They play hard defensively. They crash the the hell out of the glass. Like the Knicks are, the Knicks play good ball. And now that the fact that they've added two legitimate bucket getters off of the bench, it's huge. Burks is a guy who's just going to go and fill it up. I saw some tweet from somebody, and they were like, Alec Burks is like, this is from a couple years ago. They were like, Alec Burks is like a superstar scorer uh, if the basketball gods like stopped loading him at 73%. That killed me, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My Burks brother is, Ben would just take the first part of that and say Alec Burks is a superstar scorer, which tells yeah, me mean, a lot about how bad the 2020 Warriors were, but he was legitimately my brother's favorite player on that team, and he is still in love with him because of that. Yeah, bottom line, Burks gets buckets, man. He is a bucket getter. He's a guy, he's a valuable guy that can help you, uh, you know, off the bench. And then Boyan, I think, especially with Julius Randle's injury, is a huge addition. That guy is a marksman. Uh, off the ball and again when this team gets fully healthy he's going to be your bench four I mean that guy's a starting caliber wing dude who oh yeah uh, is wetting up like uh, this is a home run trade for the Knicks and like I said they got to get healthy uh they just announced OG Ananobi has something going on with his elbow uh he's going to be out three weeks Julius Randle has that shoulder thing going on Mitchell Robinson's got to get healthy but this team at full strength is really big is mm-hmm. really physical is athletic yeah, they're gonna play great defense, and then offensively, I love their process. I just like I said, I love how well this team gels and plays together. Carson, this has moved the Knicks up a notch in my uh, in my hierarchy here. Like I already had the Knicks as legit, real contenders without making a move. Yeah, this is a real need removal for me, and I'm all in, man. I'm I have Eastern Conference Finals expectations for the Knicks. As you should, dude. This is probably a more impactful move than the Hayward one. Again, I just don't like Josh Giddy, and it's such a clear improvement because of the similarities in terms of role. But this is a really good move for New York. And it's funny to me that a lot of people, it feels like, are talking about Alec Burks first 
with all of this, I think because he is a past Nick, and so there's the familiarity, but let's not make a mistake about who is by far, by far the best player in this deal. It is Bojan, who is just one of the most productive scorers in basketball and has been for years. He's one of just 19 guys this season dropping 20 points per game on 60% true shooting. And maybe you think, well, 19 names, that's a decent amount. But everybody around him is like a stamped all-star caliber guy. Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam, LeBron James, I'm looking at the dudes just above him in efficiency. There's nobody above him, actually, who has not been an NBA all-star. And then you have Bojan. He is a guy who can both create on-ball, out of pick and roll, he's been an 80th percentile scorer. He plays at this very methodical pace, changes pace well, in control, big, strong guy, and then he's just a lights-out shooter. 48% from mid-range, 41% from deep, consistently one of the best three-point shooters in basketball, and... When he came back for the Pistons, obviously they didn't get good at basketball, but it immediately changed what Cade was capable of. Cade's production and efficiency skyrocketed when Bojan came back, and it was already trending upwards beforehand, but just what he did to that broken offense in terms of spacing value was huge. And as a bench offensive spark plug, he's one of the best in the league, dude. Like, if he played a full season off the bench, he very well could win sixth man of the year, and yeah, Filling in as a starting four while Randall's hurt, I mean, offensively, he can do a lot of the same stuff. It looks a little bit different, obviously, but he can mismatch attack, he can create his own shot, and he can shoot the hell out of it from deep as an off-ball guy. So, I love that, and Burks, I don't think is going to be as much of a fixture in the rotation necessarily. I can totally see series where Alec Burks just doesn't play and I can see series where maybe he gets 25 minutes a game because I do think Tibbs likes him. Monty Williams liked him too. Coaches like Alec Burks. His value really is he's another 40 plus percent shooter from deep and has consistently been very good there and he's a decent playmaker. I will say he likes to shoot the ball. I'm not quite as high on Alec Burks as maybe everybody else. There's a real Alec Burks love affair out there and I get it because like he's kind of tough but he shoots 38% inside the arc a lot of that is tough contested jumpers because he doesn't really have that athleticism to pressure the rim. So you got to consider those factors, but he is at least a guy who has a little bit of that additional pop offensively and he can knock down open shots. That was the dagger in the heart for the Knicks last year. That was the Achilles heel. Yes, Julius Randle sucked in the playoffs, but he sucked extra because teams were so comfortable sending multiple defenders his way and loading up the paint We've talked about this a lot recently because OG has changed this dynamic. Dante DiVincenzo has changed this dynamic. Now they're just increasingly adding more firepower in terms of wing shot making that is going to make it easier for their star scorers to thrive in one-on-one -on -one matchups and is going to punish teams more if they try to send help, if they try to load up on those guys. And the one void that was left on this team after the IQ trade was bench shot creation. That was the one thing where I was like, is that second unit going to be too rough and it certainly is going to look different with a guy like Bojan right he's not facilitating at the same level that IQ is he's not dictating possessions at the volume out of pick and roll that IQ is but he's actually an okay passer and you've just added punch and Alec Burks can take on some of that ball handling now so I think that they've overall filled that quite nicely and this is a team that if Julius Randle plays like regular season Julius Randle absolutely should be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I feel that way right now. I think that they have put together a loaded basketball team. They have a top 15 player in Jalen Brunson. If Mitchell Robinson can return, which it seems is very much on the table, you have two starting caliber bigs who can 
defend at a really high level, and bring you different things offensively. You have an awesome collection of wings. You have a first-team all-defense kind of guy in OG who fits in perfectly. And then if Randall is on, you have like a second-star caliber creator offensively with this bench that has now filled out so nicely. I love, love what the Knicks are doing. And I know some people have been surprised, like why are they so eager to move Quentin Grimes? And I do think some of that is Tibbs doesn't seem to like him. But also... That wing rotation has gotten pretty crowded, and DiVincenzo is just playing at a much higher level than Quentin Grimes. Obviously, OG is in a different stratosphere. Josh Hart, I would say, probably in terms of overall impact, is just playing at a higher level than Grimes. So, I don't think that Grimes is like some stud. I think he may have gotten a bit of overhype from New York media, but... He's definitely a solid point of attack defender, and he's a solid catch and shooter. So you've got a, a 3 and D guy who's going to find a role in just about any place. It just wasn't really working in New York anymore. Yeah, I, I like Grimes. I like Grimes. I think he's going to be good in this league. Uh, I think you make a great point about Burks in the playoffs, though. And, and that's what I mean is just like there's always value in getting good players down in your rotation and just having another guy to turn to. If the Knicks get bit by the injury bug again in the playoffs, whoever it is, you have another guy who can step up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always benefit to bringing in and having depth. And I think this is the one they needed. Because you're right. I mean, they got DiVincenzo. They got Hart. They got OG. I don't know how much the guy's going to play. But if you need him, you got him there off the bench. You know, you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have True. it. And that's what Burks does for you. Um, man, I love the Knicks, dude. <laughs> I love the Knicks. They're putting together such an awesome basketball team. And I will say, now that I think about it, him playing 25 minutes a game in a playoff series, I hope that doesn't happen. I can't necessarily put it past Tibbs, but with all of the quality wings that they have, that would be a lot of Alec Burks for me. That'd be a lot of Alec Burks. But shout out to the Knicks, dude. They just keep getting better. They've nailed, really, damn near every move under Leon Rose. He has been awesome leading that operation. And for the Pistons... Why not do this? Like, why not get Quentin Grimes? And why not get a couple of seconds? There's not necessarily a needle mover there, but I think that Grimes could be a starting caliber 3 and D wing in this league for sure. He's already started stretches for the Knicks, and they've been legitimately good with him in that role. So that's a guy who you'll take as opposed to your 30-plus Bojan and Alec Burks who just don't fit your timeline at all. Okay, another team that was making moves today logan the dallas mavericks they pick up both pj washington and daniel gafford let's start with which of those two moves did you prefer and why i probably like the gafford move more um mm. slightly i like both of these because uh, dallas had a clear need uh, i think throughout and that's just size athleticism physicality and rebounding like the mavs would just routinely just get Big body, man, and crushed on the glass. Like, they just needed more quality wings and another quality big for Derek Lively. Gafford, I think, is an awesome pick-and-roll partner for Luka as a vertical lob threat, screen setter, uh, rebounder, interior guy. Like, shout-out Derek Lively, man, but I feel like you just need a guy who's a little more built. Like, Gafford's just a thicker, stronger yeah. guy, and that matters. I think Lively could kind of get big-bodied by some of these other veterans out west. Um so Gafford's a good switch up. Again, this now means that you have 48 minutes of really solid center mm -hmm. play, if it's Gafford or it's Lively. Um, and then PJ, I'm sorry, man. It's just like you're trotting out Grant Williams and, and Derek Jones. I'm, yeah, mm. a literally anybody else. Thank you, Dallas. Mm. You traded the Michelin man. And I'm the sorry Michelin to man. friend of the show, Matthew Spahnauer. You guys now have the Michelin man rolling into town. Uh, yeah. So good luck with that, man. The... 
God, dude. I mean, Grant Williams looks like he was hit with a hydraulic press, man. You know what I oh mean? Like, just just give the guy a break, would you? Every yeah. time that you see him on the basketball court, you oh. tweet a picture of the Michelin man. Yes, I do. It's an abusive relationship that you have with Grant Williams, and I'm putting a stop to it. I'm sorry, Batman. Uh, now you have to go save He's the city Batman. of Charlotte. <laughs> He's sick. He's tasked with the impossible uh, goal of saving the city of Charlotte. Anyway... I think these are two of the best deals that Dallas could have made. These, This was the biggest glaring weakness that Dallas had. Does this change my trajectory for Dallas? I don't know. The West is really tough, but it is an improvement. They got more physical. They got more size. Mm -hmm. They got more athletic. For a team where you have Kyrie Irving and Luka as your two guards and Josh Green probably as your third, that's your biggest need. More guys that can make up for those guys, and uh, I think they did it here. Two really good moves by Dallas here at the deadline. I agree. The Gafford one is the safer of the two to me, and the PJ is the higher upside. I really like the value for Gafford, though. I mean, they give up Rashawn Holmes, who I've always enjoyed because of his beautiful floater game, but really does nothing for them. And the more favorable of the Clippers or Thunders first round pick, so that's going to be a real late first rounder. And it's what you said, dude. Now you have 48 minutes of real quality starting level big play i don't know that i'd say either of these guys are above average level starters but they are starting level bigs and for the dallas mavericks where it had been the dwight powell show and all of the weird combinations they cooked up bringing back javel mcgee like that is a significant upgrade you now have two very athletic rim protecting rim finishing productive rebounding high effort bigs and over the last couple years, Daniel Gafford has consistently been one of the most effective rim protectors in basketball. We talk a lot about that stat of opponent field goal differential inside of six feet when you are the primary defender. And you always see the same names pop up. You're going to have Gobert and Walker Kessler and AD and those guys at the top of the list. And Gafford has always been in that second tier, like right behind them, consistently very productive there. He's seventh in blocks per game this year. And... Although these guys do a lot that's similar, you do now have slightly different skill sets. Like you mentioned, Gafford is more of that big physical bruiser at times. Both of them can go up top and catch a lob from Luka. Luka's going to have fun throwing these guys lobs all day. But then Lively is a bit more nimble guarding in space. I think that I probably trust Gafford a little bit more in a playoff setting because I do like A, that physicality element. B, it's a very specific thing, but it matters to me when you're talking about a closing lineup that the dudes on the floor can hit a free throw. Derek Lively has been like 54% from the line, and he is just more experienced. I didn't expect Lively to be thrust into a situation like this so quickly, and I didn't expect him to perform at this level as a starter. Like, pre-draft, we thought this guy was going to be a bit of a project, and he has been really, really good this year. But I think having at least a guy who in different matchups you can turn to is so valuable for him. So they've upgraded the big situation twice since this offseason started. And I think that the PJ trade could be a win-win. I could see both teams being happy with what they got out of this. I think that PJ clearly has more offensive skill and more athleticism than a Grant Williams, right? He's quicker, he's more fluid, he's more comfortable handling he's more athletic overall. I do think his role is going to be different in Dallas because he's kind of been allowed to do what he wants a bit more in Charlotte. Like sometimes PJ runs pick and roll. I don't want PJ running pick and roll ever in Dallas. He's just not that good at it. But as a play finisher, as a roller, as a guy who is lethal in pick and pop situations, knocking down spot up jumpers, 
I think that there's potential for him to be really productive there. He does have to shoot better. He has not shot the ball very well this year. He's historically been pretty good from deep. He's only 32% this year. He does have to simplify his offensive game. And then defensively, he's got to lock in. I can't really hold any individual Hornets defense against them because the entire culture there is so broken. And I like his tools defensively a lot. I think he makes really good plays there, but sometimes he just doesn't care because the Charlotte Hornets don't care. But he's got a 7'3 wingspan. He's strong. He's 235 pounds at 6'7". He does move really fluidly so he can guard multiple guys in space. He's versatile. He's got good bounce so he can bring you some value as a help defender there as well. So he's just a bit more unknown. Like the one advantage that Grant has, and I know that you you hate him, Logan, but the guy is going to grind and he's going to do the little things and he's going to defend hard and he's been in those playoff environments before and he knows what it takes, at least in the role that Grant Williams can have to win basketball games. PJ's never been in a serious basketball situation and that is an adjustment and not everybody's wired that way. Some dudes do still want to see what they can do with the ball in their hands and take possessions off defensively. So if you tap into his talent, he has a clearly higher ceiling than Grant Williams. I'm just not sure exactly what version of PJ we're going to get in this new environment. But I like it. At first, I thought giving up Grant and a first for him is maybe a bit much, but you get back two seconds, so that doesn't really matter to me. He's going to be better than Grant. I'll go out on a limb, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. That is the point I was going to make, though, is that this is a drastically different situation for PJ, and this is going to be the true test of whether he's a winning basketball player. Can he lock in defensively? Can he at catch-and-shoot threes? The one caveat I will put with that, um, his three-point shooting numbers this year, he's 35% off the catch, and he's 32% overall in about six attempts per game. I think his shot quality is really tough because there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of attention being drawn to other areas of the court. Playing with a guy like Luka, with a guy like Kyrie, PJ's shot quality is just going to be higher. Like, he is just going to have more open looks because of the guys around him that are created for him. So I'm hoping that... Like you said, I'm hoping that in a winning situation that PJ can really and truly shine as a good role player. Yeah, he is shooting 27% on open threes this year. Like, it's just been a down season for him. Ugh. But look, Ugh. man, everybody looks better offensively alongside Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. And he's going to have better looks manufactured for him than he ever has in his career. So I absolutely think his efficiency will take a tick up. And I think it's clearly a higher upside player overall probably in that positive maybe grant can bring a little bit of culture to charlotte i don't know and they do get the first out of it and pj it feels like sort of is what he is there like he needs a change of scenery i think because he doesn't have the sort of talent to just be allowed to roam free and let's see what he can be but he does have the sort of talent where if you can channel it and put him in a clear role and he buys into that then he can be a productive, legitimately good basketball player. Okay, the Sixers made a couple moves today, Logan. The shinier one being picking up Buddy Heald in exchange for Marcus Morris, Furkan Korkmaz, who has finally been liberated, Logan. We got to take a moment. Seven years, he's been begging to get out of Philly. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows what the Sixers have been doing to him behind closed doors, but it's frankly terrifying to think about. But he's out. He's out, and I pray that he enjoys Indiana and three seconds. How did you feel about this move for Philly? Anybody acquiring Buddy Heald would be an awesome move for me. Like, Buddy Heald is the kind of shooter that can swing a series, right? It's like, I don't want to disrespect Buddy Heald when I say this, but it's like the Mavericks having uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. 
what I mean by that is just they're so lethal as catching shooters. They're such elite shooters that mm-hmm. in an individual game format, like if Buddy just keeps getting open and finds his stroke, this is a guy that can put up 30 points in a game. He can put up 40 points in a game. He can swing a game for you, which in turn means he can help swing a series. I'm not going to predict that to happen, but like just having a guy with that kind of flamethrower, like Buddy's one of the best shooters in the NBA today. Uh, you shot a video. We're going to run this on TikTok soon, so... Spoiler, guys, if you're going to guess this as your trivia question. Buddy's in top 10 in active three-pointers yeah. made, correct? Ran it yesterday. He came to the league in 2016. He's, like, by far the newest guy to the league to be on that list. And that's ridiculous. Like, Buddy's pace has been unreal. Uh, obviously, he came into the league a little older. I believe he was 42 when he came in. but 46. Uh, yeah, 46. Yeah, 46. Uh, Buddy's, Buddy's an elite shooter. And having him alongside uh, a maxi, having him alongside an Embiid, um, Hopefully that's extra attention. Now the Sixers, Carson, I think legitimately have two sets of starting caliber uh, twos and threes. Melton uh, and Tobias Harris, or, yeah, Melton, Tobias Harris, and then Buddy Heald and Kelly Oubre. Like, it's just valuable having this wing depth. And and like I said, dude, uh, anybody getting Buddy Heald is a good move for me, uh, especially when you don't give up a ton of value. I mean, you gave up Cork Maz a first. I'm, I'm throwing that in, man. Buddy, I think, could be a lot more useful no here. No uh, first. No first. Three seconds. Three, I mean, that's incredible value for a guy like Buddy Heald. And considering his role in Indiana this season with the uh, improvement that we've seen from the younger guys like Neesmith, like Nemhard, I think it's a good direction change. You know what I mean? Buddy, as he's aging, gets to go play for a team that's contending now, and Indiana gets to lean more into their rebuild. They get some seconds, and uh, they can let their young uh, wings and guards kind of get a little more PT because I feel like Buddy was kind of not going to waste there, but – He'll have a bigger role here in Philly and a more meaningful and hopefully impactful role on a contender. Uh, Buddy Heald's awesome. I know that 242 boss was definitely pretty upset with Buddy's utilization in Indiana. Have you seen this, Logan? Buddy Heald with the most egregious burner in the history of burners. Bro, it is the funniest stuff. I'll just read out to you some of his tweets. He tweeted about if there were like any good burger joints in Philly when they were playing in Philly a couple days ago, the Pacers, and then he, like, quote-tweeted it today, so about those burger joints. He's tweeting all of these graphics about the best five-man lineups and just Buddy's, like, presence in one of them. He's saying, like, oh, all the haters are real quiet now. He's never tweeted during a Pacers game. Like, it is the most obvious, and I don't even know if he's trying to hide it anymore. Go give him a follow, 242boss1. It is Buddy Heald's burner. I guarantee it. But this is a win for the Sixers. Because it's pretty simple. You got an elite shooter without having to give up a first-round pick or a meaningful rotation player. Marcus Morris is okay, but he's not an impact guy. Buddy just greases the wheels of any offense, man. He is going to immediately change your spacing dynamics because he is that great as a shooter. Like, the volume and efficiency from him legitimately is in rare company all time and has been every year. And over the last four years, his team's offenses have been six points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor on average. Did you find him? Did you find 242 balls? I don't even think think Buddy's trying to hide it. No, dude, I don't think he is anymore. I don't think he is. He only tweets about Buddy Heald. Dude, I love that he's tweeting in the third person. It's awesome, bro. It's you awesome. Had to, you had to crawl so the boss could fly. No hard feelings, cuh. He said that to Mook. So hard. He's screenshotting dudes' profiles and saying that their opinions are garbage because they're talking about how when Buddy takes too many shots, the Pacers lose. Like, I love it. Wow. But he shouldn't be a starter, though, right? He's a scrub, right? Low casual fans losing as usual. He tweets about himself. I love it. One of my favorite accounts on Twitter. But Buddy is going to fit in 
in Philly offensively because he fits in anywhere. And as they've made it more of an emphasis to play with a little bit of a faster pace, he's lethal in transition as a shooter. He's um, always going to be deadly in spot-up situations. He can run some of those handoffs with Embiid and beat teams with his three-point shooting. And it's just good for Philly to have another legit offensive weapon. Not a guy who's going to do a ton with the ball in his hands. He's done a little bit more of that as of late. Still not great. He's an okay playmaker, but he can shoot the hell out of the ball. My one concern is I don't love a defensive backcourt of him and Maxi. I don't necessarily hate it. I don't view either of those guys as glaring liabilities. I think Maxi has stretches where he's actually good, but he is okay. He, he's fine. But at the end of the day, it's two guys who aren't real plus athletes who haven't shown consistent commitment to that side of the ball overall. So I just worry, like, who is their stopper in those matchups? Maybe you turn to Melton more instead of Buddy, and I'm good with that. I love DeAnthony Melton, but he's still not a great answer. Like, they don't really have a difference maker there at the point of attack. I was going to say, I mean, that could hypothetically be an issue in any playoff matchup that they draw, right? Yeah. Cleveland Cavaliers, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, the Bucks, yeah. Damian Lillard. Like, uh, in the hypothetical Eastern Conference matchups, Halliburton, you know, point to any guard. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to have their way with that backcourt. So I think it probably is going to be on Melton's shoulders to to clamp up those guys. That's who I'd turn to. Well, one of the guys who had been pegged for that role in Philly was known podcaster Pat Bev, who is no longer in Philly. He was traded to the Bucks today for campaign and a second rounder. We've talked all year about how Milwaukee's glaring weakness is perimeter defense. Does this move the needle for you, Logan, on the Bucks? who you've already sworn can't win the title because no. Doc Rivers is their coach? How, how many times do I got to th- They're cooked. They're mm. cooked. The Milwaukee Bucks are absolutely chopped. This it's one over. is even more a nail in the coffin. Let's go. Mm. We got to go out and get Pat Bev. Look, man, when you're at the deadline and you're scrambling to find a player and the guy that you pick is Pat Bev, you're done, man. It's over. It's Jover. The Bucks are cooked. They have Doc Rivers as their coach. Damian Lillard is dealing with too many off-the-court uh, issues to keep his head on straight. Uh, isn't playing uh, defensively at all. Did I mention Doc Rivers was their coach? Hey, guys, Doc yeah. Rivers is the Bucks coach. Um, the Bucks are done for, man. The Bucks are cooked. This is something, man. I think it's an improvement. You can't deny that it's an improvement. Would you rather they have Pat Bev or not have Pat Bev? I'd rather pet. I don't know okay. though. I mean, you got to think about the locker. The locker room is the only area where I have reservations about Pat Bev. Sure, his skill set's good. Well, I just I worry about everybody. Who likes Pat Bev? Whatever his co-host is. What's his name? Roe? something like that. Shout I don't out like Roe. I, I mean, I just I don't know, man. I I wonder what he brings if he's more of a distraction than a benefit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think he is a guy who, in certain matchups, can still have an impact defensively. Like, he's a plus defender. And at the end of the day, the Bucks have not had many plus defenders. But also, it's like, you can't play him and Dame together mm-hmm. because then you're tiny in the backcourt. And Dame is going to be in all your key lineups, obviously. So it doesn't really do much. What they needed was a bigger guard, a wing. If they could have somehow, and this was never going to be possible because the Bulls wanted a ton for Caruso, and now he's like untouchable. 
and the Bucs have no assets, but that's what they needed. Like a 6'4 athletic guard who can handle multiple matchups, who could take on a wing if needed. Pat Bev just can't do that. Pat Bev can only really take on the small guard matchups, and you can't have a backcourt that is that tiny with him and Dame. Like, if you're going against the Celtics, right, you're still at a major physical disadvantage in the backcourt. Derek White and Drew Holiday are bullying both of these dudes. So it's a slight improvement. It's not enough. The Bucks ultimately are still pretty much in the same position. To me, what would be ideal was if Marjan Bochamp or Andre Jackson could just miraculously oh, and mature get, and, and play big-time playoff minutes, but it's not going to happen. Well, year. to get that to happen, I mean, you got to play them, Carson. I know. I know. It's ridiculous that Doc literally is not playing Bochamp. He's not playing either of them, but Andre has been in and out of the rotation all year. It's silly... But again, they're not the answer. You can't rely on rookies. Bochamp, who isn't like some all-around defensive stud. Andre, who is a pretty awesome defender for a rookie, but offensively isn't all the way there. They just have this fundamental issue, and they didn't have the assets to correct it. And alas, they still have not. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. They did at least give it a shot, though, Logan. There were some other teams who stood pat entirely who we expected to be active at the deadline. Number one on that list being the LA Lakers, who had rumors swirling about basically every single star in the league going there. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Alice Caruso, the holy trinity of the Chicago Bulls. Our friend Jason pitched Jeremy Grant. DeJounte Murray was the one that had really picked up steam in recent months. They get no one. What does that mean to the Lakers ceiling in your eyes? I mean, I just wonder if LeBron's gone at the end of this year. I wonder if something's going to happen this offseason. I mean, I have no aspirations for the Lakers. I don't know, man. They needed some kind of juice, some kind of pop back into this team. Uh, there is one narrative that I've come around on with you, Carson, that uh, Darvin Ham does not know how to coach basketball or to get this team ready to play. Uh, I, I, I think that dude is uh, overwhelmed and underprepared. I think this team just consistently, when you see the effort night to night, like, I don't know about you, Carson. If I was head coach of the Lakers, obviously I'm not, but I'm chewing into them, man. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm chewing into guys about the effort. I'm, I'm trying to fire the team up. This to me is the death knell for the Lakers, right? LeBron and AD can reach a top 10 level. Uh, sure. You know, I, I believe in them. I believe in the star talent and maybe that's enough to win a series, but I think they're, 
I just don't think the role players are good enough. I anticipated way better from these guys. I anticipated more from Christian Wood, uh, who I think does actually deserve more PT, even though he hasn't been great. Uh, you know, I anticipated more from Tarian Prince. I anticipated more from everybody. I I've been completely and utterly disappointed by the Los Angeles Lakers, and I just don't think they have the talent to do it. I do not think these role players are good enough, have played at a high enough level offensively or defensively to convince me that they're going to do anything. I think Darvin Ham could make little adjustments to make this team better. I would start by uh, not playing Tari and Prince. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't... I think the Lakers are just too far away, Carson. Uh, I, I, I've been really disappointed uh, by their role players, and I'm even more disappointed. This is a team that I picked to win the finals uh, preseason. I expected the move to happen. It doesn't happen, and this is basically... Uh, the end. I'm I'm out on the Lakers. Well, they're certainly not winning the title. I still think that they're going to be an uncomfortable playoff matchup for anybody. They still love LeBron and AD. I still think that defense can lock in and reach a pretty high level. But the one thing that we've talked about since the beginning of the year is that you have a really enticing, potentially, trade piece in D'Angelo Russell. I shouldn't say really enticing, but at least a guy who was very skilled offensively, who had been on a heater as of late. Since January 1st, he's averaging 22-6 and six pretty efficiently, but he is redundant with Austin Reeves. And you have two guys who bring similar offensive skill sets and similar defensive limitations, and you would just be best served by moving off of one of them, ideally D'Lo. And I really had an expectation that that was going to happen. He was a mid-sized, movable contract, and just never happened. I don't know if D'Lo playing at the level he was dissuaded them from doing it. I don't know if the market just wasn't there. And at the end of the day, some of the targets trimmed down. Like, turns out that Caruso wasn't really attainable. Turns out the Bulls just wanted to stand pat for whatever twisted reasons they live by. So, I am disappointed that they didn't find a way to improve their ceiling. I still think this is a team that can absolutely win a playoff series, but I just don't think that they have the same defensive ceiling as last year, but they're just missing that little bit of difference making at the point of attack. And they didn't add a, a third big shot creator, which was the other possible path that they were rumored to go down. So it's underwhelming. And maybe that's actually a bit of an understatement because within the context of just this year, it's underwhelming. But when you consider that the Lakers can't really have that we'll get him next year mentality, they can't just presume that LeBron is going to sustain this level. Maybe he can. But one of the big questions coming off of last year's one was, will LeBron play at the undeniable superstar level consistently enough that they need him to to contend? And this year, he has been better than last year. He has been really impressive, especially when he's dialed in. So to not make the most of that is painful. And there wasn't a great target really on the table at the end of the day. But it's disappointing when you have 39-year-old LeBron playing like this. And now we look at this team and we're like, yeah, they can still be good. They're still better than their record. But they didn't reach the ceiling that we thought they could if they made the right move this year. The Warriors also, Logan, don't make any move. There was so much talk about Wiggins earlier in the year. A lot of intriguing packages around Kaminga, but Kaminga pretty much played his way into being untradeable. How do you feel about them not doing anything at the deadline? I'm officially higher on Golden State than I am on L.A. Whoa, uh, really? I can, I I can say that. I mean, hear me out. I, I think it's it's really similar 
to last year when we doubted the Dubs. I think they're going to be a lot better in the second half of the season. And I don't think that their issues are still the exact same. They're a smaller team that I think could get out physical and out athletic, um, like just you know out athletic by any other team in the West. I think they're a lot of this team is young, but you know Draymond's been out. This team has been a lot better with Draymond back out on the floor and locked in. Uh, Andrew Wiggins has been playing better basketball. Jonathan Kaminga has been playing great. Uh, you know I still think they have this the same flaws. Is that their second guy isn't great enough. Steph needs an actual partner to do this, and they don't have it. And they are an undersized and small and not super athletic and physical team. I still think their red flags are their red flags, but I think the Dubs are going to play a lot better in the second half of the season. They're not a title contender to me. I think they're probably, they could win a first-round series. They're probably going to get bounced in the second round. I feel very similar to them as I do the Lakers, but I can see this. You think they're going to win a playoff series? I think they, I'm not going to count Steph Curry out from winning a playoff series by any means. But you said Um, they probably get bounced in the second round. I would probably pick that. And I could see them upsetting a, a higher seed. It's the Warriors. It's Steph Curry. It's Dre. It's, you know, it's still the same core. Um, but, yeah, I, I would not – I don't think this team is a legit contender. Yeah, of course not. They have no contending upside. They had to do something. They did nothing. And, again, the targets for them just kind of trickled away. Siakam – goes to the Pacers. Lowry Markinen is now untouchable. And if you're not going to move Kaminga, there was never a really good trade on the table. My friend Carville, Warriors fan, texted me some sort of three-team trade that was going to get them like Gordon Hayward and they'd move Wiggs. I don't remember the exact details, but that was the place that Warriors fans were starting to have to get to, right? I saw some Warriors fans like raging over the fact that they didn't get Daniel Gafford. And yeah, Daniel Gafford would have been really good for this team to have. Just wouldn't move the needle. I don't know why you like them more than the Lakers. I still think the defensive ceiling is so much higher for the Lakers. And I think the LeBron-AD combination is just so much more overwhelming. Wiggins isn't playing better. Wiggins sucks now. Wiggins fell off a cliff. Like, he's washed. He had a good year. And he's just a shell of what he was. I think the Warriors are going to play better down the stretch. I wouldn't say it's impossible the Warriors can win a playoff series, but their ceiling is pretty clear at this point. I like the Lakers' top two, and I like their defensive ceiling more. I like the Warriors' top to bottom more. I'll put it like that. I like their deep bench more, but deep benches don't move me when it comes to the playoffs at the end of the day. So it's not super surprising that they couldn't get anything done once we reached this point, but they absolutely had to find a way to get something done if they wanted to get back in these conversations. And they had assets. They had these young guys. But again, once Kaminga is taken off the table, all of a sudden you don't have that shiny asset anymore. Andrew Wiggins, nobody's going to be enthused to take on that contract. So reality just really set in. But it's like I was saying with LeBron and the Lakers, when you have a player in Steph's case at 35 years old, still playing at this superstar level, it's just disappointing when you do a disservice to that guy by not putting a legit contending roster around him. And for the Warriors, it's not so much about missing out on this deadline because again, if you're not going to trade Kaminga, which I understand, then you don't have intriguing assets. To me, it's always going to come back to not trading the Wiseman pick or Wiseman himself when there was still real value there. Not trading the Kaminga pick because as good as he may be right now, I still think if you could have turned that into a Pascal Siakam, a win-now star a few years ago, a guy who would still be at his prime right now, and 
could help carry some of the load with a regressing Clay Thompson and an aging Draymond Green and all these things. Like, that would have been the move and the mentality to take that could have prolonged this run even a little bit more. It's not so much about this year because what deals were there really on the table by the deadline? Nothing great. There was nothing great that this team could have done. But when you have Steph Curry like this, it's disappointing. And that two timelines thing is forever going to sting at least a little bit. They got the title in 22. God bless them for that. But beyond that, I think it cost them. Okay, the Chicago Bulls, Logan, do nothing. And we had been hearing this reporting for a while, but how do you feel about that? I'm shocked. I'm absolutely stunned, guys. <laughs> Cannot believe the Chicago Bulls didn't make a trade at the trade deadline. Are you serious? Man, I really didn't see this one coming. Carson, this is three straight years. The Chicago Bulls have not done a damn thing at the trade deadline. A no. damn thing. They have not yeah. made a single move, and it's just compounded uh, by the fact that, you know, next season, uh, Lonzo Ball is on a, you know, player option. Uh, DeMar DeRozan's contract is up after this season. Uh, Zach Levine is still going to be making $40 million plus a year for the next three years. Vucevic is actually not on that bad of a contract. I don't know, man. I just wish the Bulls would pick a direction and get some young assets that they could put around guys because I there are guys that I like here, uh, specifically the guard tandem of Ayo Desunmo and Kobe White. I think that you have legit rotational guards there. You have your starting guard and you have your sixth man, you know, or, I don't know, stardom. Pick a direction, Chicago. Either get in the cellar and get busy finding your next superstar. It's like the Shawshank Redemption, man. Get busy living or get busy dying. Could y'all pick one? Like... I'm just, I'm befuddled. I am perplexed by the Chicago Bulls, but I am not surprised. Three years running, they have not done anything. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, DeMar's just going to walk, right? Like, you're just losing that asset. I don't know who's intrigued by DeMar, but you could get something, man. Gordon Hayward got moved. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me to lose assets and to get nothing back when I feel like teams are interested in DeMar. Teams are interested in Vooch. Teams are interested in Levine. To an extent, like... I would sacrifice winning 36 games again next year to go out and get some young assets and to finally move towards a new core. Uh, that's what I was hoping they would do. Uh, again, I, I'm not I'm not shocked at all that the Chicago Bulls didn't do anything at the deadline. Yeah, the market's not hot for any of those guys who you mentioned, and that's what we heard. And their name brand value exceeds their actual value to a contending basketball team, but you still would have been better off getting something than nothing. And you can wait it out with Levine because you're paying him damn near $50 million a year for the next three seasons, but DeRozan is going to walk. He's probably going to take a pretty small contract somewhere. And Levine's value is not going up. He's done for the year. He had season-ending foot surgery, but nobody is going to become more intrigued by Zach Levine. So it's just ugly. It's just the epitome of basketball purgatory, mediocrity, and... They just continue to condemn themselves to that. So, again, it's not like they were going to get some great haul for these guys, but better to get something than nothing and better to have a direction, better to say, all right, let's see what Kobe does as our lead ball handler because obviously he's been flourishing with more offensive responsibility this year and they are just going to stay basically in the same place. All right, real quick, Nuggets Celtics, the two title frontrunners, basically do nothing the Celtics get Xavier Tillman but how do you feel about the lack of inactivity from those two teams they're set I don't really have any issue with and I actually like Boston's acquisition of Xavier Tillman uh, it gives them a little flexibility 
you know, with playing Porzingis in certain matchups. It just gives you another good depth big man. Like, Tillman is undersized, but he's a dog. He's going to crash the glass hard. He can abuse, uh, you know, guys in smaller mismatches. I will never forget that game against Anthony Davis where it perplexed me that he just kept getting to his spot. Like, Tillman's not, you know, great, but he's he's a good rotational big. And uh, I think that's a need for Boston. I have really no issue with them not making a game-changing move. These teams are, in my opinion, clearly the most talented and, uh, you know, most well-constructed rosters top to bottom. Uh, They would be my finals pick today, Uh, Boston-Denver. I know it's not a hot take, but uh, I'm I'm very okay with with neither of them making moves. I don't think they need to. Why didn't either of them move for Goga Batadze? Huh? What's up with that? I think that... That was very intuitive. He just doesn't have a clear place in Orlando. He's good. But he's good. when they were hurt, he was starting. He protects the rim well. He's got good hands. He's got solid touch. He's a solid passer. That's a rotational big, and that's the one thing. I like him more than a Xavier Tillman. And the Celtics need Porzingis insurance. I am not moved by Xavier Tillman. I would have been moved more by Goga. I would have been moved more by a Daniel Gafford. That's really the one spot that I think both these teams can look at because the Nuggets play DeAndre Jordan as their backup center, and they won the title without a decent backup center last year. But it would be nice to have a guy who can protect the rim at a high level, finish at the rim at a high level, just do more than DeAndre does. And uh, for Boston, I think that they're could have been a better version of backup big who we may need to step into a starting role than Xavier Tillman. So it's just a little thing. I don't think that anybody surpassed either of them, but it did feel like they both kind of had that one little need and they weren't able to fill it. Okay, real quick, Logan, any other little trades that we haven't talked about that interested you from the deadline? Yeah, I I like the Phoenix Suns move to go out and get Royce O'Neal. I'm not really moved by David Roddy. Um, Roddy's cool. He's he's a stout. Yeah, I was going to say he's a stout wing. Um, I'm not really sure what he does to this team, but Royce O'Neal at least... Again, it's matchup dependent. You want to get guys that fill in for the blanks of the rest of your roster. Uh, alongside a Kogi, you know, again, I don't know what hypothetical lineup this is, but you have two decent point of attack guys, an O'Neal and a Kogi. A Kogi can take the guard, or O'Neal can take wing matchups. It's just important that you have another competent bench defender, mm-hmm. and Royce O'Neal is going to defend his ass off. He brings a little offensive, uh, you know, a little catch and shoot game. Nothing crazy, but uh, I like them uh, bringing in Royce O'Neal. I think that's a. Again, man, it's the moves on the margins, and he's a good role player. I don't know what David Roddy does for this team, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, That was probably my favorite, like, really under-the-radar move of the deadline. Yeah, that's a nice move. O'Neal has just consistently been pretty good at the 3 and D stuff and is a decent playmaker as well. So he's a quality rotation guy. We've talked about how the Suns have such one-sided role players. They have their guys who can knock down spot-up jumpers, and they have their guys who can defend, and the skill sets don't overlap. Royce brings you, I would say, the best overlap of those skill sets. So I do think that that's a legitimately good add for them. I was interested by what the Utah Jazz did, particularly their trade with the Raptors. I think that Kelly Olynyk was a guy who a lot of people hoped would go to a playoff team because he just has such that veteran little thing, what he can do as a playmaker, high IQ guy, knocking down shots as a big from the perimeter skill set and sending him to the Raptors. He's a Canadian. He's a Canadian, but it's weird. The Jazz give up Ochai, but they get back a 
first rounder this year in a weak draft class. It's going to be a very late first rounder. Yeah. And I still think Ochai is solid. Mm-hmm. Like he hasn't been great. He's an okay shooter at the very least. I still like his defensive tools. He's a really good athlete in the open floor. That entire move just kind of weird, weirded me out. Puzzled me too. I mean, Akbaji was a winner. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a, yeah. there wasn't anything that like you looked at and you were like, oh man, this guy's going to be a star, but he made winning plays in Mm -hmm. college. And that's what you bought into. He was a veteran guy there. Uh, It does puzzle me. I would much rather have Akbaji um, than the late first two. I completely agree with you. Weird move, weird move kind of from both sides. Maybe the biggest news of the day, Logan, and we will end on this note. Killian Hayes, shortly after demanding a trade, pulling off what we've seen from the Turkish delight, from from Furt Goat. These are some of Furkan Korkmaz's official names on basketball reference. He has now been cut, and in honor of that, I will play a song. Oh, they don't do it in the French version. This is celebration in French. You know what they're saying? Celebrate good times. Come they're on. They're saying get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. Yeah, they are. It's a wonderful music video. That's what we say to you, Killian Hayes. That's what we say to you. Be damned, you terrible basketball player. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, you can always find more Nerd Sesh content. Follow us across social, TikTok at Nerd Sesh. Instagram is the same. Listen to the pod everywhere. Check out our YouTube content. We put all of our shows there with video, and we're doing video essays, video breakdowns on specific NBA players. I just did one on Brandon Miller that I had a lot of fun with. So you can find all of that at the Nerd Sesh YouTube channel and Sorry that we didn't do our show yesterday, but we did it today because A, we knew that the deadline was going down today, and B, we were traveling yesterday. We went to Vegas, went to the volume party, saw the Stay Hot Boys, had a lot of fun. So hopefully uh, this made up for it. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.